0: Good afternoon, Tuesday edition of the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070, WKOK. You can find us at stevejoneshow.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, our Twitter handle at Steve Jones PSU. And you can subscribe to our Steve Jones Show podcast. We're on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, and Google Play. Search Steve Jones Show. And once the shows air live here on WKOK, we can drop them right into your smartphone and tablet. And of course, they are free. And we always have three months of shows archived too on our homepage at stevejoneshow.com so we'll be with you live till five then we'll have our late day news roundup and we've got some local sports for you tonight as well both on 1070 a.m and at wkok.com tonight on wkok.com we'll be streaming uh, boys hoops with Chickalemi in the field house tonight they take on Mifflinburg. Wrestling tonight, it's the Chickalemi Braves heading to Williamsport. They'll be at the Magic Dome on Top of the Hill on the west side of Billtown, right off of Fourth Street. Steve Williams will be there, and we'll have that for you tonight on ten seventy AM. And wrestling coverage will start just after seven. And we'll have hoops at seven oh nine on WKOK.com. A lot going on here on the show today. We're counting down to the NFL Divisional Playoffs. Most exciting weekend of the season, actually for the year. Most exciting weekend of the year for pro football, in my opinion. So uh, the Divisional matchups will feature the Philadelphia Eagles heading down to the Dome to take on the number one seed in the NFC, the New Orleans Saints. We will have the Westwood One national broadcast here on 1070 AM. Actually, you can listen to all four playoff games this weekend, starting Saturday, at 4, with live coverage with the Colts and the Chiefs. And Saturday night, you've got Dallas at the Rams. And then the Sunday doubleheader, Chargers, Patriots, Eagles, Saints. All four here on WKOK. Uh, you can hear the Philadelphia Eagles call over on Eagle 107. Pregame will start at 3 with Glenn McNow, Eagles insider Dave Spadaro, Ross Tucker, and much more. Leading up to the Hall of Famer Merrill Reese. That's a 440 kick on Sunday. Now, speaking of Merrill, he's scheduled to join us this afternoon. We'll have Merrill and Steve at 335 here on WKOK this afternoon. Also, we'll get more NFL talk going next hour with Neil Kulong. Neil will make his weekly appearance, the senior editor of NFL Wire Network. And we'll also talk some Penn State football and basketball, too with Ben Jones, the longtime Penn State sports writer from statecollege.com. So, Merrill, Neil, and Ben, all three with you today here on the Steve Jones Show. There is some NFL news to tell you about. Uh, Josh McDaniels may be one of the hottest head coaching candidates as we move toward the off-season. So, we'll see if he gets some interest. Maybe maybe something in Tennessee since uh, Matt LaFleur has left there to become the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, that became official this morning. Matt LaFleur agreed it to a four-year contract. Miami still has a head coaching position available as well as Tampa Bay. Bruce Arians may be heading to Tampa Bay. We'll have to wait and see if there's one head coach that will be able to uh, inspire Jameis Winston to get his act together and become an even better quarterback. Arians could be The answer there, Arians would be leaving the CBS, uh, NFL and CBS broadcast booth after uh, one year of service there to get back into coaching in the NFL. So we'll see how that shakes out. So last night, Alabama and Clemson National Championship game. Nick Saban blamed himself for choosing to run that fake field goal instead of setting up a 39-yard field goal attempt in the third. Busted play that proved a huge turning point in the 28-point loss to Clemson. Out in California last night, three plays after Clemson snuffed out that Crimson Tide fake field goal attempt. Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence connected with Justin Ross for a 74-yard touchdown, which pretty much at that point was game over. Pushed the Tigers' lead to 22 and ended hopes of a Crimson Tide rally. Actually, the score was 31-16 at halftime. Alabama was able to go 51 yards in 12 plays before the drive stalled out at the Clemson 22. Mac Jones, the holder and backup quarterback, held the ball and allowed kicker Joseph Boulevard to run past him as a lead blocker. And then Jones took off behind him, but was met in the backfield by most of Clemson players. Needed six yards, but ended up with a two yard loss in that play. That was the fourth time in the game that the Crimson Tide tried to convert on fourth down. That was the first one that came up short. So, worst loss in Nick Saban's tenure. As the head coach of the hello. Crimson Tide, so hello, hello.
1: yes, so, I've been here for a while. I've, I've been listening. Your the Josh McDaniels thing. He's already said he's staying in New England, as I tried to say earlier. Uh, he says he's staying, so he's not taking jobs. All right, that's one. Uh, and I think what you saw last night with the, with uh, Nick Saban and the fake field goal is quite simple. When you are running teams out of the building, which they have done on a routine basis. It can also mask your problems. One thing I've felt about Alabama over the years: remember the uh, uh, Scott who now punts for the for the Packers? When they had him, my goodness, what a dynamic college punter he was! Okay, they don't have that anymore. Remember the Griffith kid who had been in Poland and was adopted by the family in the United States? Who was their place kicker? Not bad. They don't have him anymore. In fact, Alabama led the nation in missed kicks this season between field goals and extra points. You know that? When you have problems on special teams and you're blowing people out, you can mask those issues. Last night, they couldn't mask the issue, they didn't punt well and you fake field goals when you don't have the confidence in the guy to make one. Let me give you an important number Sean of the game. 1412. What does 1412 mean to you? Sean.
0: 1412. Yes. Let's see. That definitely wasn't a score from last night.
1: It has something to do with the score. Fourteen to twelve to go in the first half is the last time Alabama scored. Do you realize that? Wow. They went forty-four minutes and twelve seconds, the last forty-four twelve, and didn't score. A point
0: i couldn 't believe between both of the teams there were already you know three scores on the board barely six minutes into the first quarter, and one of them kept scoring the other one stopped now they gained yards, they had
1: chances on fourth down uh for those of you who are worried about Mike Loxley going to maryland i wouldn 't worry too much anymore. <laughs> That fourth down call with Tua trying to run. Let's see. We're going to take our quarterback on a surgically repaired ankle from five weeks ago, and we're going to run a swing sweep. Hello? Hello? What kind of play call was that? Couldn't believe it. I mean, I'm watching thinking, that's what you came up with? That, I mean, that was bizarre world. Meanwhile, the Lawrence kid is one heck of a quarterback, isn't he? Wow, I was impressed. You know, be, because here's the irony: Clemson might be the least watched national champion we've seen in years. Which Clemson game did you watch this year? Until they played in the Cotton Bowl against Notre Dame. When did you watch when did you watch Clemson play this year? The only game I saw Clemson play this year was Syracuse.
0: I wanted to get a peek of them in the uh ACC Championship game with Pitt, but that game was done early.
1: I now part of this, you know, part of it too is I'm obviously in a position where I'm doing my own game or I'm not only doing my own game but I'm traveling, so I mean I am in that, you know, in that spot where I don't see that I think people think I watch a ton of college football. I watch it whenever I can watch it. You know what? The team I watched more than any other this year was Washington State. You want to know why? Because it was the late game, and I was home in time to watch the late game. So I don't watch as many. I mean, obviously, I watch tape of every team Penn State plays, so I watch a lot of games that way, but it's you're looking for specific things as you go. So, it's, you know, so obviously, I've seen Ohio State several times. I've seen Michigan several times. I've seen Michigan State several times, Wisconsin several times. So had that, yes. But in terms of actually sitting down and watching a game, I'm either at a Penn State game or I'm at it and I'm traveling back from it. I actually watch more of the Friday night game than I do uh, a daytime game. But Clemson in Syracuse is the only time I saw Clemson play this year until the Cotton Bowl. When was Clemson on national TV for a big game? Their big big non-conference game was Texas A&M. And I give Dabo a lot of credit. That was a good game to schedule. And obviously they had to play that game with South Carolina at the end of the year. So, I mean, they're out there playing ten Power Five teams every year. I mean, Dabo does that. Even though they only have eight conference games. Yeah, they are from a weak conference. The ACC is not a strong conference. And I think he understands that. I think he knew he had to schedule somebody like Texas A&M. And I want to say the year before, didn't they schedule Auburn the year before? Something like that. So, I mean, he'll take chances with his schedule. I think in part because I think he knows he's smart enough that his own conference isn't good enough. But, I, I mean, the Lawrence kid was really impressive. But I had never I had never seen him play. Remember we had Todd Blackledge on right after he had done the Clemson-Syracuse game? Remember that, Sean? Mm-hmm. And how he raved about Lawrence in practice and in the game? Like, wow. Um, well, you
0: got to give Dabo a lot of credit. He decided to not go with Brian and went with Trevor Lawrence earlier in the season, and that was and uh, that's well, the reason me, it paid off.
1: Let me put it this way. it. It had to be painfully obvious. Okay. And the irony is, you know, a game where Lawrence really struggled was actually Texas A&M. It was early. And the difference between Lawrence against Texas A&M and Lawrence against Georgia Tech a couple weeks later, like night and day. He is really, really good. I mean, he hangs in the pocket. He moves well. He's got a terrific arm. And under the current collective bargaining agreement, he is going to be at Clemson the next two years. If the collective bargaining agreement were up this year and they were renegotiated, it might open the door for him to get there earlier. But he has to stay two more years at Clemson. He is a special, special talent.
0: That's a fun question to ask. I mean, if he were eligible to go into the draft, would he leap past Haskins as the uh, top quarterback? Yes,
1: Yes, he would. Yes, he would. Haskins only played one year, you know. I mean, he may be a third-year guy, but he only played one season. I'll say this. What Penn State did to him, you know, nobody put any pressure on him. I mean, he had 13 completions behind the line of scrimmage in that game. He couldn't get the ball downfield. Because Penn State put pressure on him And he overreacted to some of that pressure But look He threw 50 touchdowns this year But Haskin mean, Lawrence has Almost as much experience as Haskin does And I would take Lawrence I mean I love the way Tua throws the ball You can see that he spins that ball out of there Although I don't know what uh, I don't know, really I don't want to get into this too much. But take the first interception two, two or three. They gave him a coverage that was confusing. What are you talking about? They're two Alabama guys standing within ten feet of each other. He threw it between the two of them and the one D B said, okay, I'll take it. it's kinda of like the two DBs are looking at it. You want it or you want it or you want me to take it? okay, I'll take it. He threw it in between two guys standing within twelve feet of each other. The terrible play by Alabama. It was, it was so easy for Clemson to pick it off. It had nothing to do with their trick coverage. <laughs> they were running man-to-man coverage. What kind of trick is that? It's easy to cover man-to-man with two guys when the two guys are standing feet apart. <laughs> what the, heck? the other one was like, "Oh, and they fooled them on this because cover three, cover three, bait you into throwing the ball deep." With the idea that you'll throw it deep, and you're like, "Hey, we got it covered." They picked that one off too. I don't know. That broadcast was a little bit. They must have a contract with AT and T on the on the uh, on the pylon cam because they went to it several times, and there was like no need to. <laughs> when you're using the when you're using the pylon cam, so you can put a graphic across the bottom. That tells you there's a contract. No need. We'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Welcome, great to have you with us. By the way, if you're wondering about Ricky Ricardo, who is the Spanish language broadcaster, I he is Cuban American. He, he was actually born in Newark. <laughs> And he does the Yankee. I guess he gets the Yankee Spanish broadcast as well.
0: He has been doing that for about four or five years, and uh, yeah, that was a fun little part of our show yesterday. One of our uh, friends on Twitter, Greg Deegan, says, "Just give it play-by-play call of the year already, glorious." Fly, <laughs> Eagles fly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks,
1: Greg. Oh, that's good. I like it. That's that. That is terrific. All right, well, the English version of it was Merrill Reese, <laughs> which we heard on Eagle 107. He joins us next half hour, the great man himself. The Eagles are going to the New Orleans. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors. 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070, WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guy's force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subray Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The smc way checks each vehicle in a 200 mile radius to determine the lowest price then beat it it's the lowest price promise just part of the smc way the choice is up to you the other guy's way or the smc way the smc way wins every time Subway motors company in the north fourth street auto plaza sunbury and at SubrayMotors.com, selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years
0: Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones.
1: Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Q-Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. Very pleased to be joined by the voice of the defending Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, Merrill Reese. Merrill, welcome back. It's great to hear you. Happy New Year.
2: Hi Steve, same to you.
1: All right, great call at especially at the end of that game on Saturday, I mean uh, on Sunday, when you look at the situation it, they escape and get out of there and go to New Orleans, what was the feeling watching the flight of that ball and then when it hit?
2: <laughs> it was kind of it was it was weird. It was a surprise and yet I I had a funny feeling after he took the kick that didn't mean anything, you know, with the timeout he just kinda of stroked it through. I had a funny feeling because Cody is a is a terrific guy and uh he, he's got all the physical talent in the world, but he had a bad year. I mean he missed seven field goals and three extra points this year and he has had an affinity for hitting that upright. And so there was a there was a thought in my mind that you know what 43 yards is not automatic, but yet, when it happened, it was just, oh my goodness, this team is going another week.
1: <laughs> and then he not only hit the upright, but then it hit the crossbar. I mean, it had the, had a double drama to it.
2: Yeah, they called the double doink.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's exactly right. But you know what? You... Here's the thing. I wasn't focused as much on that. Uh, because all I, I've learned a long time ago, uh, and we're looking from the slides to this parallax, just concentrate on one thing, the official standing right under the crossbar. Exactly. When, when his arms crossed in a downward direction, I just yelled, it's no good. It's no good. You know, the Eagles right. win. And then right. I went and reconstructed the, the double doink.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I say the same way. You wait for the official to tell you, then you know for sure that that's exactly what it is. The yep. Eagles have made this stretch run, Merrill. I want to start with the secondary and and the overall job that Jim Schwartz has done. I mean, I I, I wouldn't doubt they had name tags on the helmets like five, six weeks ago with some of these guys. Hi, my name is. Uh, how amazing you know, that, is that, that part, Ben? That's
2: a good ben? point, Steve. People said the Eagles had to learn the defense. They had to learn each other's names first. But, you know, I was uh, this morning they had the coordinators and Jim Schwartz spoke, and one of the things he talked about was that uh, before the last New Orleans game, uh, the personnel department told him they just picked up somebody off of waivers who they thought might play and and might fit in, and they were going to bring him in, and his name was Cravon LeBlanc and yeah. and Jim Schwartz said he never heard of him before and actually when I heard his name I thought he was a french a french chef <laughs> <laughs> but but he said you know what he has made a difference i'm not saying that he's the reason that the the defense has totally come together but he was an important piece because they couldn't scrape together four playable pieces week after week and he came in and did a very good job and then of course you see the the growth and the uh, the development of Avante Maddox. What a, an outstanding young player he is! And Malcolm Jenkins, I think, has played every snap this season. And Corey Graham's been okay. <laughs>
1: And it's you know, and that's an area where communication is needed. That's an area. I mean, and that's something that I find amazing that you can plug in spots like that and have them so well prepared. Because you and I both know, Merrill, they've got to at least either through hand signals or vocally, they've got to communicate with each other as to what they're doing
2: back there. Yeah, and Jim does a good job, and Corey, Unland, the secondary coach, they all do a good job. Uh, of of putting them together they're they're just good coaches and they're they're players who are willing to work but you know we can talk about the secondary and i i've been thinking about this for a while uh, when people talk about uh, what what is working for this team right now i go back to super bowl 39 the eagles and the patriots and to this day I hear people criticizing Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb didn't move them quickly. There wasn't a sense of urgency at the end. He threw an interception. He choked. He threw up. This and that. And, you know, I've probably seen the coaching tape, we call it the end zone offense or the end zone defense, ten times of of that game. And each time I came to the same conclusion. And that was... Donovan McNabb was rushed off his feet time and time again. And Tom Brady could have read War and Peace and looked down fields <laughs> yeah. and found Dion Branch. And it was it was the lines. It was the big guys. Yeah. And if you look at this Eagles team, the key to what they are doing right now on offense and defense. Yeah. And this, this takes nothing away from Nick Foles or it takes nothing away from right. the secondary people or the linebackers it all begins with the offensive and defensive lines. And that's where this team is solid. Uh, Tim Jernigan came back into the lineup, and that was a big plus because they anticipated him coming into the season. That's why they let go of Bo Allen, who was a good rotation guy. But once he came back in and was able to get healthier and healthier, that made a difference and the, the play by Fletcher Cox has been all-world this year, and Michael Bennett has helped them. They bring in uh, Chris Long from time to time, who's a, a prolific pass rusher. I mean, they've they've really been, done something, and they, they lost the guy along the way who they were counting on last year's first-round draft choice, um, Derek Barnett. He's a good player, but he yeah. wasn't able to play. But once they got the, that that group going in the middle, I mean, and they... Got some rotation guys to help. Poloti Nada came in and, and was a space taker who helped. And then, of course, the offensive line. Uh, they've, they've had Wisniewski in there for a while. They went back to see Amalo this week because he's healthy again. But they're a, they're a really, really good offensive line.
1: Yeah, no, they're winning in the trenches. And I thought Jernigan, the domino was... A great Fletcher Cox became even a little bit better because Jernigan mm-hmm. now was it was occupying somebody, and that now they couldn't concentrate totally on him. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, it's very fair. It's very fair. Yeah. He's he has helped, but Fletcher Cox is a force. He, he's really yeah. that good.
1: Yeah, no, he is that good. I know you brought up Nick Foles. I'll we'll get to him in a second, but getting you know, Golden Tate had to be brought into the mix. What has he meant and also what what is the return of Alshon Jeffrey meant?
2: Well, let's let's take your first question first, and I'll tell you how stupid I must be thought of at in, in Chicago, because I was a guest on their pregame radio show before the game, and they asked me the same question. I said they they said, What has Golden Tate meant to this team? And I said, to to be honest with you, he took he plays basically the same position. As Nelson Aguilar, who who plays extremely well, and he really he had one touchdown, but he he really hasn't made a difference since they brought him in. I mean, he's not that he's dropped passes or anything, but he right. he, he really hasn't been making a big. He hasn't been a major factor in this offense. So what does he do? He, he catches the touchdown pass and <laughs> gives them the lead at the end, and and made another great play where. I don't know how he caught the ball, Mike. Quick, there was a, there was a DB with a a beat on him, and Nick hung it up there a little bit. Mike said that he would have alligated arm. that he didn't run any parts of it, <laughs> but but Tate went and got it and took the blow. But the we we saw what he can mean to a team. He's he's been fine, uh, and and in that game he was a significant difference maker. And as far as Alshon Jeffrey is concerned, boy, he's good. I mean, he is good. I mean, it didn't matter if he was playing against his old team or the New England Patriots or whoever he was playing. This guy has the ability to high point a football, and that's something that Nick Foles has done so well. You look at quarterbacks like I was, one of the guys who has done it for years is Aaron Rodgers, where he goes downfield right. to a receiver and puts it up there, and the guy doesn't have to be open, but he gives that guy, it used to be Jordy Nelson, a chance to go up over the DB and make the catch. And we've seen, how many times have we seen Brady put it up in the direction of Gronkowski? And Gronk goes up and just out-muscles somebody for the ball. That's what Nick Foles has done. He continues to give Alshon Jeffrey a chance to get the ball. And Alshon Jeffrey high points it as well as anybody, and he has the strongest hands. He just he just snatches it out of the air, and nobody can knock it free.
1: Uh, I know when it comes to Nick Foles, I think what I've said here the last couple of days has been, you know what, that is to me the perfect example of the pro's pro. Um, you know, keeps his mouth shut. Now, I know he hasn't taken a vow of poverty. Keeps his mouth shut, knows what his job is, supports the other guy. When the chance is there for him, he steps in and plays at a high level. You've been watching him. Merrill, what makes him that consummate pro's pro to you?
2: Well, he's been around for a while. He's savvy. But, you know, certain guys, I mean, we, we saw them back maybe in high school. There was always somebody you saw, whether it was on the basketball team or football team, who, who just seemed impervious to pressure. And right. th- th- the, you get in a big moment of a game, and, th- and that's the guy who takes the, the jump shot as the clock is winding down or stands there calmly on the foul line and you're down by one and he sinks two to win it. And that's that's the kind of guy Nick Foles is. He was a basketball player, by the way, back in high school, a very, very good one. But that's, that's what he is. He's poised. He's poised. There's nothing skittish about him. I remember his first year under Andy Reid, and the game was on the line in just a matter of seconds, and they were inside the Tampa Bay five-yard line. And he pretty much duplicated, or this time he duplicated the play that he made then, which was a roll right in the past to Jeremy Macklin. It was a win or lose situation. And he's just he just comes through for you. He just has that look in his eyes and pressure doesn't bother him.
1: Teams I wish I change.
2: that way standing over a two foot butt.
1: Oh, Merrill, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I walk up there. I'm like, the hole's not big enough.
2: <laughs> That's right. I, I know. I hope it goes in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly right. That's I'm like. And then when it goes in, you're like, I had that.
2: <laughs> All the way. The the, the the pro that I go to for lessons said to me, that was a wishy punt. Yeah, it was a wishy putt. You can stand there wishing. You get up there, you stand over it, you look at the hole, you look at the ball, you stroke it. You don't wish. And, and I get, I get a little wishy on two foot putts, but Nick Foles. It doesn't matter if it's a five yard pass or a, or a forty yard bomb. Nick Foles is the same guy, and he's supremely <laughs> confident—not cocky, but confident.
1: Exactly. I mean, confidence without arrogance. Uh, the, the teams change. And you and I have just talked here for the last few minutes about how the Eagles have changed. You're going to play the Saints. How much have the Saints changed in six weeks, in your opinion?
2: Mm. That's a very, very good question because I don't know that they've changed at all. I don't know that they're not still that terrific team, maybe the best team in the NFL this year. I think that if there is a change in their performance, over this past six weeks, it may have been a lack of urgency because they were so far ahead of everybody, and they were they were on cruise control. But these are the playoffs, and there is no such a thing as cruise control because one slip up, and you're out of the tournament. So I don't I don't buy the theory that they're not as good as they were back on November 18th. I do, however, believe that this Eagles team is a lot better than they were at that time.
1: And we'll find out if it's enough of a gap closer to move on to the next round and survive in advance.
2: You know, perhaps unkindly during that Saints game the first time, I came out of a commercial break, and I said it was in the third quarter, and I said, Steve, I said, um, during the timeout, the Saints went over to the sideline and wanted to find out if this counted as their bye week. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well i can assure you I, I, I get, the eagles never showed up I, I never showed up i can assure you you will not use that line this week i just got a funny feeling about it
2: <laughs> I, I think it's going to be a competitive game i do
1: i do too Merrill. you know it's always a pleasure great respect my friend keep it rolling
2: thank you it's, it's great being on with you steve and whenever i have an opportunity i I listen to you with the Nittany Lions, and you just do a terrific, terrific job.
1: Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. With great respect to the Hall of Famer, Merrill Reese. Thank you, Merrill.
2: See you, Steve.
1: Merrill Reese, the legendary voice of the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, it's interesting. NFL Films did top ten legendary voices, and a lot of them were the national guys. Like Summerall, people like that. Merrill's one of the few radio guys that made the top ten. Did you know that, Sean? I think he was like seven or eight. They were doing a, a, one of those top ten countdowns, you know, and Summerall made it, and I think, I think Dick Enberg made it. Jim, so, mean, it was all the national guys. Merrill was in there, very impressive. That tells you everything about him. And not only that, he's one of that he's. He is, you know how he's talking about foals, and I use the words confidence without arrogance? That's Merrill Reese. Merrill Reese is a very confident broadcaster who knows his craft and knows his sport, or any sport. Cause, I mean, Merrill and I go back to when he was doing St. Joe's basketball and I was doing Penn State the Atlantic 10. And, uh, and there is, an I'm telling you right now, Merrill Reese is as down to earth as anybody is on the on the face of the earth. So when I talk about confidence, no arrogance, that's Merrill. He didn't have an arrogant bone in his body. This is one of the really great guys. You know, he always, every time we ask him, he always comes on. He's awesome. He's awesome. We'll come back. I love how he calls a game. Because, you know, it's one thing about serious, you know, because obviously I, I can't really get Eagle 107 here, to be to be fair with everybody, just so everybody knows. Um, and so I'll catch Boy, I probably have listened to more of Merrill in the last, like, six, seven years than I have at any time in my life. And, A, he sounds as terrific as ever. I mean, really good. And I was listening to that Bears game because I had to drive into the George Center to do the game on Sunday. And he's just terrific. I mean, I mean you want to talk about somebody who's, you know, People ask at some point, oh, have you lost, lost your fastball? I think he's gone from 95 to 98 in the slow gun. He's terrific. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment as we continue here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Welcome back. And once again, we're on the dark side of the moon. The suit was in the uh, studio telling us about potential guests uh. in May uh, I, I for IndyCar I, we, season. I have to give you credit.
0: Even you sounded fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't expect this info till like uh, spring, till at least after the Phillies started the season. I mean, a- I, I, to your
1: credit, I mean. Uh- you're much better at faking. The, oh, yeah, yeah, really? Yeah,
0: yeah. You're like, oh, it's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's called leading him on. <laughs> well, his boy Willpower, I guess the Indy 500 Willpower Championship banner was uh, hung up at Speedway today. I guess that's what oh, triggered
1: it, him. it. It should. He's a great, great racer. I mean, you know, it's yeah, It would be nice if he had more support. Oh, next half hour, Neil Coolong will talk about the suit's uh, primary guy, Antonio Brown. He's a big AB fan, isn't he? Like, I think, doesn't the suit... He used to put, be until uh, about two weeks ago. Antonio Brown and Will Power, to him, are the same category?
0: Pretty close, yes. <laughs>
1: And then uh, final half hour, Ben com. Well,
0: the big thing with Antonio Brown last week, he ends up on that new Fox TV show called The Masked Singer, and it's a show that's been popular in Japan for the last couple of years where you have celebrities on stage, but they're in costume and they sing a song. They sing like a popular song, and the judges have to try to guess who it is. And they're eliminating yeah. one celebrity per week, and who was up there last week singing Bobby Brown's My Prerogative was Antonio Brown. <laughs> it's like the day when, one of the big days last week, when the Antonio Brown story was blow, blowing up out of Pittsburgh. There he is. She. I mean, obviously, he taped it probably weeks or months ahead of time, but the timing was pretty crazy.
1: <laughs> well, you know what I find interesting about him? He's not going to go to the Pro Bowl, right? Now, here's a guy who, by all accounts, was upset at not being named the team MVP which would have brought with it a huge financial bonus, correct? And we know he needs the money, correct? That he turns down the Pro Bowl which would have meant a
0: check for another fur coat, <laughs> right? But uh, okay. Well, I just hope Juju's taking notes with all this going on that uh you don't foresee the same thing going on with him a couple of years down the road.
1: Well, they have a big decision to make on Antonio Brown, and next season he gets $17.1 million. So you can whine, moan, and complain, but in my neighborhood, that's not taking a vow of poverty. Our thanks to Merrill Reese for joining us on the soon-to-be-sponsored hotline. Suit's going to take care of that, right? He's on it. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> he begged out of that right away.
0: <laughs> You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting
1: Corporation app.